0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. Today I'm talking to Hannah and James Silly uh, who have been at New Community Church since 2005 and then in 2015 James took on the leadership of the eldership team. Um, Both of them are former school teachers, both of them a gifted in leadership and teaching, Hannah. I can still remember the impact that you had on Amy when she returned from a conference that you were speaking at. I can still tell you some of the things you were talking about because it made such an impression on her. Um, I got to know both of you properly. I think when you were you started teaching on impact training for us, talking about discipleship and disciple making. Um, Hannah currently leads the 0 to 18s or oversees the 0 to 18s in the church. Both of you very involved in next generational leadership. It's a high value of the church uh, and your community. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you, thank
1: you. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting us. <laughs> well, you're you
0: are you're known to many people around not just New Ground but New Frontiers in general. So I'm sure lots of people listening to this would know you already. But I'm particularly looking forward to talking to you today because I know last October, uh, I was at a conference with you where you shared just some of your heart, for the emerging generation and the stress the importance of churches prioritizing the full inclusion and full development of the next generation as leaders and co-participants in the church and i heard that in october and then since then in other settings as well and i know every time i've heard it it's resonated really with me but with everybody else around there's a a growing just awareness that yeah we need to talk about this and yeah we need to get this right because there's the world's changing so fast, and there's, so I'm I'm looking forward to talking all about that. And I know you've got lots of, lots of interesting and wise things to say about all of that. Um, I think before we get there, let's just let's talk a bit about your journey into leadership, then. Uh, and I'd love to know a little bit about both of your stories and how that perhaps informs some of the stuff that you shared in October. So, who wants to go first with just sharing with us a little bit about that?
1: Great. So. I would say it was unconventional, in the sense that we we we'd had experience of church life before. It's not like we weren't Christians when we turned up the church. We'd been part of different churches, um, but I think we we came eager um, to to explore what church would look like for us as a couple that were engaged and um, soon to be married. And we hadn't necessarily come from a culture which. Um, kind of made us very aware of kind of gifts that we might have to bring to the church I would say that we were a church attenders rather than maybe fully grasping what uh, the vision of church was and I think that's probably one of the things that happened in the first few years of being part of New Community Church was we got ruined for it we weren't ruined by it (laughs) but ruined for it Um, really just the vision of what the church could be and so I think leadership was sort of just wanting to play our part in that we started just serving on a kids team because someone asked us to because they were moving on and they needed somebody to be involved and we we just said yes because we you know we it was probably a year after actually we joined the church so we we didn't really do very much when we first started but we would just wanted us where there was a need we wanted to step into that need and I think loved it we've loved i think everything we've done you know we've done we did it together which was fun but like just serving on kids was great fun and i think leadership became something that we i feel like we stumbled into and i know god has had a plan it wasn't just kind of chance and all the rest of it but it it wasn't something that we actively pursued i guess that's something that's worth mentioning i didn't ever feel like a leader I still don't truthfully. so I think sometimes when you introduce us like that, I'm like, Who is he talking about? Um It's just, yeah, just I think every, yeah, it's something that we we feel like we've stumbled into a bit, but I can see God's hand in it. um yeah,
2: I think I think that's that's what, how call is developed in many ways. You just carry somebody's bags and turn up and we kind of and then they ask you to do something, and we've kind of got a philosophy, really uh personally but then in life of the church really uh, we've tried to lead is let's lead with a yes unless mm-hmm. there's a reason to say no yeah like um and where there's a need let's step into it and where we see god doing something let's respond to that uh and so yeah mm-hmm. han's uh kind of summary is fairly accurate stumbled into it mm-hmm. um I think blindly just walked into it a little bit. People asked us to do stuff. We're like, okay. Um, or if it wasn't being done, we're very happy to be led by others. But if it wasn't kind of being done, we're like, do you know, I think mm. I think God might be leading us. We can do that. Sort mm. of um, not out of any sense of let us lead, but out of a sense of well, somebody needs to. Yeah. So, and we ended up, yeah, leading. We did nothing in church life for a year. Like probably shouldn't admit that, but I don't. And it was I just only, turned up
1: and cried. I did. I did contribute by crying every Sunday and just I mean, <laughs> finding life hard. The context
2: of that is we were we were buying a flat, we were getting married, we were um, learning how to teach. We did this thing called Teach First, which at the time was just in London, kind of chuck you into schools, which unqualified and learn on the job, basically. That's actually how we found new community. That's God's kind of Mm. providence and hand in everything. We couldn't really, we never heard of New Frontiers, I don't think, until we arrived in a New Frontiers church. This was back in the pre-Sphere's days now. Um, And we kind of ended up just, let's meet in, let's go, let's just try the the church that meets in the school that I teach in. And that was, uh, I'll never forget it, Vision Sunday, September 2005. And we just kind of looked at each other and were like, this is it this is it. This is it. And we thought we'd be there for two years never had any plan of work for the church after a year we went and hung out in um actually heard a pre this is significant i think we heard a preach on the nations mm. um and it's not that we're foolish we did know there was other countries but i'd never heard this concept particularly of the nations and going to the nations and and all of this kind of stuff now the irony of that is han grew up in pakistan uh overseas and that and I, I spent my teenage years just outside Bradford and all that kind of multicultural thing was kind of normal to us um but hadn't probably connected the dots of what that's about and I remember going and saying hey let's go we've got six weeks of summer holidays let's go and use them to go to these nations things mm. what's this where can we go mm. and and chat to to Matt Hosier he's now down in Pool, and he he said yeah I'll sort it out and you can go to wherever it was or wherever and we chose to go to a place called Clarence on the border of Lesotho in South Africa, spent best part of five weeks or whatever with Stephen, Heather, Oliver and others there and just had our eyes completely opened and mind blown um, by this thing called the church. And Hans is ruined for like, we're all in. I moved, I did teach first, to move to London really to go and work in the city after doing teaching for a bit, uh, to go and make money. And I then began to think, I don't care about that particularly. How can we serve the church what can we do for stay in education mm-hmm. and then ended up working for working for the church that's another story um
0: oh so it's so yeah inspiring and actually I, I love what you said that you know we never set out to lead the church or to be leaders in the church there's something really important in that just in terms of an understanding of the, the character and the characteristics of christian leadership but because it's never leadership that you aspire to, for i don't think in the christian life it's a love for the church and a desire to shepherd and pastor god's people and it's amazing how god takes our, our yeses that end up and they end up becoming really significant parts of our story going to Clarence and meeting steve oliver you know seeing him having your eyes open to the wider family of the church um talk to us a bit more about what it means to be ruined for the church then what is it about the church as a vision that animates and excites both of you there's so, so many ways to
2: answer that but In answering it, just partly some of our story. We, when we first arrived here, got um, put in a small group. I can't remember what it was called in those days. We've been through every iteration of names. Um, And we were like the youngest people there. And you've kind of walked into this room and thinking, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And they, those who are living from that small group, because some of them have gone to glory now, um, still to this day account as some of the dearest people in our lives who became family to us, Um, became sort of Mm. mums and dads uh, spiritually and big brother and big sister and aunts and uncles, all that kind of stuff. And just, they discipled us Mm. without us realizing it. There was no formal, can we enter into a a trio discipleship relationship? It was just, they discipled us and pastored us Mm. and cared for us. Mm. Uh, And when we used to turn up at, I think it was life group, right? We turned up a life group and we would be arguing about something um, so usually something insignificant and really random and we think we were parked far enough away from that they'd notice and we'd be 10 minutes late like trying to like put on this smile as you then go kind
1: of and then like in. 20 minutes into the evening one of us would relent and be like you know put, put our, our hand on their arm as a we love each other really I'm sorry <laughs>
2: <laughs> but we used to think we'd get away with it that no one had noticed and they all totally knew and they yeah. just loved us and cared for us anyway so that was part yeah. of it just seeing this wow, this is actually not a meeting you attend. I think we'd always kind of, church had been a sort of a, a meeting you attend kind of thing. And you're like, actually, we just spent so much time with these people who mm. outside of the gospel, nothing like us, mm. like older than us from mm. different whatever. And and we just love them mm. and they loved us and they they discipled us into, so you, you've got that glimpse of family. Then mm. you got this glimpse of nations mm. of kind of, And this sort of God joining the dots between our experiences of multicultural Mm. contexts and that kind of stuff and what the church is and should be, this one new man in Christ and this kind of beautiful, um, diverse thing. And that's another journey we've been on as a church because we're pretty diverse now. We weren't when we first arrived and we've been on this big journey of what Mm. that looks like to build this multi-everything kind of church. Um, And I think those kind of things just began to just get into us, Mm. and we began to experience things beyond our local, um, got the opportunity, real privilege to travel and be part of things, Mm. and so that's part of it,
0: Mm.
2: Uh, and then, I mean, back up on this, even in this moment, Dave Holden, who lots of people would know, New Frontiers, him and Liz, New Frontiers kind of been around for a long time, right, they're based in our church, and Dave, I'd never met Dave, we'd never met Dave or Liz when we first arrived here, he was, in South Africa somewhere. And then I kind of agreed to join the team at New Community to kind of come and head up kids and youth stuff. And then uh, and then, long story, it's not hugely relevant in this moment, but there was a kind of change of leadership stuff. And I was like, well, who's 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 gonna, I've just quit my job to come and work here. Like, who's taking over? And I get it's this guy called Dave Olden. I'm like, Dave, who, like sort of, who's this guy? And he sends me an email. And if you've ever had an email from Dave, it's Dave Holden here. And you're kind of, I was like, maybe we, apparently I'm joining my team. Maybe we should meet. <laughs> Went along one Saturday morning and just chatted at him for about three and a half hours. I'm a, And I've ended with a, I haven't got a job if you don't honor this kind of contract that I've sort of not yet signed, but I've said I would. Um, can I just do a year and get out of your hair? And he said, that sounds great come and do a year and then get out of my hair and that was <laughs> um, 2007 something like that six seven um and he he was brilliant uh, dave and liz took us to places traveled with them did stuff exposed us to things far beyond our level of maturity or gift or anything else um Put up with us, and that was part of it.
1: I think for both of us as well, it was just you know uh, probably you know a work of God because we just yeah wanted to give ourselves to it, you know, and 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 didn't the cost was never like too much if that if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, You never. I love the idea of um, you you bothering Dave's hair and not getting out of Dave's hair. (laughs) Say I'll get out of your hair, I'll get out of your way and that sounds great and then in the providence of God it doesn't happen. But actually your your relationship with Dave and Liz is key but also I guess quite exemplary um, and an encouraging example to many people because... Dave, as you said, was leading the eldership team and then that transition to you leading the eldership team. But Dave still being an elder and Dave also having this kind of dual role of being an elder in the church, but having a kind of uh, an outside the local church function apostolically. And just some of that, you know, the way that you've been able to navigate that, I think is is fascinating. What are some of the ways we're going to come on the next question to talk about, you know, what what we said we'd talk about. But I'm just interested, what are some of the ways that you you think that dave and liz really helped nurture you i guess as the emerging generation to both create room for you to grow um and encourage you but also um not stifle you and mm. and not be too overbearing and too restrictive
1: mm. well i i think it's all, all of the those things that you you've said you've described it really well i think it they were just um just made time for us, I guess. There was just lots of time, even though, you know, looking back, I think, oh, they had a lot on their plate. There was a sense of just drawing us into context where they could influence, Um, Not, you know, not in a, it was never heavy, but there were lots of contexts where we learned their ways in in kind of very subtle things. And I remember being in meetings where Liz would be like, come and stand here. And I'm like, Mm. and then she'd say, pray <laughs> you know there was this kind of so sometimes it was a bit like oh my goodness but a lot of it was just lot, time asked that you know getting to know each other and I, I feel like they were very patient with us because when I think back to what we were like in our 20s you know I, I can't quite believe that they entrusted us with as much as they they did but they were very patient with us and they made space for us and they they shared they were very open i think what i really liked was their vulnerability because if they modeled lead you know that vulnerable leadership so they would talk openly about just yeah just what it's like to be a, an actual human flawed human being in church life it, it it felt like a lot of what they talked about resonated with us but a lot of it's hard to work out where it started or how much of it was there and how much of it was just it connected with us mm. um but they they had a huge influence i think they've a lot of huge influence. yeah they
2: have absolutely massive and i think obviously a lot is is the providence of god in all that kind of stuff and and god's grace for them with us in the transition but i think they uh, and vice versa but i think a lot is that relationship it really mm. is, has been a, a genuine deep relationship they are like spiritual parents mm. but they're also friends mm. and they've got that as han said that vulnerability and that honesty with us yeah. uh, we have absolute we have absolute confidence and trust in them we can literally say anything to them and talk about things and you know it's it's there's it a security there to be able mm. to do that because we've done it for a long time uh known them for a long time I, th- I think partly also because we we weren't ever chasing leadership like it wasn't like we were oh they could be get us somewhere we never had that mm. It was like this kind of relationship that was genuine mm. i don't know why you'd have to ask them why did you invest so much time they obviously presumably saw something in us that was ourselves um or just felt the need to keep us close so we didn't do too much damage in that first year maybe i don't know but that sense of of actually building genuine friendship and i think over the years i can't really remember a time they've ever kind of directly told us that mm. something we needed to do this or not do that mm. And yet, they've done, they just had this ability. When you go, you kind of come in. We're going to do. We're saying this, or we're doing this, or we're kind of like that. And then they just ask these questions, mm. and you kind of come away and think, I'm not mm. so sure that's the best idea. And you'd like have this conversation, change it, and go back to them like, oh, good, well done. Sort have of never actually told us you have to do this. Mm. You have to do that. It just gave us lots of space. We're okay with us making mistakes.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, that was that's a big thing. Yeah, okay with us making mistakes and giving lots of opportunities. And I think back. Lots of opportunities to 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 do things. I think they've always been so generous with, um, yeah, like permission giving and releasing us to do to do things. And it's, I mean, it started off very small. So you know, we were just part of a, a wider group of twenties that they were hanging out with, um, and just yeah, I think it mm. it it was something very like organic. It's quite hard to sort of pin down.
0: Yeah, I uh, well, I think the timing of this conversation is really good for me because I think as a as I've been talking to people we've been releasing some podcast episodes we've just spoken to David Devonish about spiritual authority and he talks a lot about mothers and fathers and the importance of family dynamics that it feels relational that it takes time you invest in this and there isn't in some there isn't in one sense like a an agenda you're just exploring the relationship exploring the grace of God but then also previous to talking with David Devonish, we talked about the importance of intergenerational church ministry and kids work and things like that so to now kind of I feel like in talking to you we're we're bringing those two sorts of kind of strands of idea together that this is about spiritual authority the handing on of spiritual authority and the releasing of spiritual authority to the next generation but it's also about the the valuing and honoring of the next generation and the emerging generation and bringing them into possession of leadership and it's interesting, you know you say did they see anything us that in, in us i don't know what it was that they saw in us but that would want them to develop us etc but I, I don't know about you i i think as a church leader that when you see individuals that are enthusiastic about the mission of God who are willing to serve you realize the more I've done this you realize that's quite rare and the fact that someone's like that is probably a sign of the grace of God on them you know when someone says to me oh I'm, I'm open to the idea of preaching or I'd I'd like to consider being an elder one day I I think well that's a rare desire <laughs> so the fact that that's there means that we should nurture that and explore that because that's an evidence that God's grace is on someone to lead that. That's really interesting. But let's talk about, um, so our culture has has changed. The Western culture has changed dramatically. And I think as parents, we feel like we are behind the curve because there's been some major technological shifts, um, shifts in popular opinion and moral opinions that just make it very hard for us. And that can cause a, a bit of a wedge between You know, generations in the church because there's a lot of misunderstandings etc why don't you just talk to us a little bit about some of the observations you'd make about cultural changes um, and our cultural moment as it stands at this time
2: I I think you begin with the obvious that it's shifted significantly and culture always shifts throughout history it's always shifted right that's always been but I think it's been the pace of change Mm. which is so unbelievably quick when you consider now obviously we're talking from the uk a western perspective we're part of a global family different parts of the world are different stuff so we let's just our kind yeah. of western uk centric approach here um but so much has shifted like where do you even begin you can talk through like the the very concept i mean if we'd been having this conversation five, ten years ago the concept of of gender mm. like not in the same way now and uh, and obviously the sexuality thing's been for quite a while so you've you've that mm. you've got that side of stuff shifted the technological advance like even as a parent um our eldest is 12 and i'm like oh my goodness he knows stuff that i have no mm. idea about like just can't get my head around and i've that sobering reality of actually i'm not I'm not that young anymore and not very tech savvy and all those kind of things. So you've got that kind of technological Mm. advancement. You've then got the shift in terms of when we were coming through, like when we were a bit younger, Mm. most of our Christian peers want, aspired to be in leadership of some description in ministry of some description in the church. They wanted to be church planters or church leaders or elders or ministry leaders or whatever that shifted. Everyone still wants to change the world, but now they want to be CEOs of charities and things mm. rather than leaders of churches. So that mm. that shifted in just in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, individualism, consumerism—where'd <laughs> like, where'd you go? Like, so many. I things. think
1: individual. I mean, I think you know, at root, you know, you can, you know, sin, sin's been around from the beginning, right? From from Adam and Eve, and and idolatry is. You know, it's 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 what we're really talking about. It's been, you know, throughout. You see it in very obvious places in scripture with physical kind of small gods crafted by you know out of wood and stone or or whatever it was. But and I think we can have seen over the over different cultural shifts what the the idols have changed: money, power, sex. I think probably now the the individual, you know, the the, the importance of self in our culture is is so massive it, you you just get swept up in it you know and I think it's massively influenced the, the church I think it's it's huge I think even just I think about how much YouTube my kids want to watch um it's because again it's it's the power of the individual um you know in their rooms in their whatever it is just creating a creating something They they've lost interest in films to some extent and series of things because it's again this this culture of the individual the you know we define we define what's real you know in, in culture today I mean I know we we wouldn't as believe of, of Jesus that that's that's possible but in a sense you know I I can what I feel is is real so I can define reality based on not just what I think but on what my I feel and so there's been massive changes I mean there's stuff to do with manifesting now that even on my my kids you know school whatsapp groups with the mums sometimes that word I'll manifest it to happen as if like I have that much power that I can I can literally control the future it's it's subtle but it's it's not subtle and I think it it does it does influence us we're bombarded with it and so I think that's probably one of the biggest shifts that that we think that we can have that much power.
2: I think I think your comment about its idols and stuff is, is very true. I think we think we live in the West in a secular society. I don't think we do. I think we live in a pagan mm. one. I think it was, mm. um, was it Leslie, Leslie Newbigin? Newbigin. Yeah, When God's driven, no room remains empty for long. If God's driven out, the gods come trooping in. It's mm. not push God out and... Nothing. Yeah. Income the idols. Income the pagan gods. Income yeah. all of those things.
1: I mean, even just chatting to one of our students, we were talking about the effect of Instagram um on her life. And and we, we were, it was just a really interesting chat because we were just talking about how actually it's 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 basically like walking into a, a pagan temple. It's basically like entering into a temple where you're suddenly being surrounded by idolatry and by people worshipping it's 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 our modern equivalent of walking into a a sacred space of a different faith being surrounded by their gods and it's what do we do with that how do we how do we handle that so we can be you know in the world but not of it you know what we're facing feels very different and unfamiliar but it, it's it's not a god like this stuff in our hearts has been the issues in humanity from the very beginning.
0: Yeah. I think I'm just reminded of Matthew nine, where Jesus sees a crowd and he has compassion because he can tell that they're like sheep without a shepherd. In one sense, we're at that, but in another sense, we're, they're not shepherdless. They're just led by lots of different people in all kinds of different directions, telling them what they need, bombarding them all the time with what they need. And I think what's what's needed, I think you started by saying we need to recognize there has been a shift like this isn't just uh, oh you know some new things have some, a few things have changed but every generation thinks that every generation doesn't understand the older the older understand the young etc. There's been major cultural philosophical technological shifts that have meant this feels like a, a step change you know for the first two thousand years everyone was a farmer and now you know people don't live live off the land anymore we're, we're different so there has been some notable shifts I think the second then is then to start to have compassion for the lostness and the brokenness yeah. within this that's why I kind of I get as you're talking as well. It is it's very sad i, I was just gonna I mean I totally agree with what you just said mm. and I think actually like you have two
2: approaches here you can lament like the kind of loss of Christendom which mm. to be honest that was that's gone ages ago mm. Like, there's just no pretense anymore <laughs> it's that kind mm. of and actually what we're finding now is that actually presents itself with a far bigger opportunity because no one thinks they're a Christian they're not even like so it's not a sort of well yes yeah, sort a of graduate gospel salvation is this graduation mm. from good to saved it's yeah. like dead to life it's mm. like we have baptized a bunch of people again all on the edge of 25 again just on easter sunday a few weeks ago and just hear yeah, their testimonies mm. and really cool like one guy just absolute atheist grown up this that and the other and then began to question this and this that, and that and anyway wonderful story of salvation and there's no kind of he didn't grow up thinking he was a christian like there was mm. no And then you're trying to convince them you're not really, and you need to get saved Mm. and all that kind of stuff. It's like Mm. Jesus is exactly who he says, who he's always been. He is who he says he is. And he brings light into darkness and he Mm. breaks chains. And because we believe this gospel will be true, Mm. all of the rubbish in our culture, all of the the mess and the brokenness, it's chains that is binding people. It's not bringing life and freedom and joy. It, It might bring the kind of perception of it, but you, But you dig into it, and it's not. It's bringing. Mm. You don't even need to dig into it; just look at it, right? Mm. But people that awareness, and then you see a countercultural community of people who live different. Mm. And that's the key. How can we get? How can we get the church to live Mm. different? To Mm. shine like stars in a dark Mm. and crooked generation, properly, because it's attractive. We are a city on a hill, like
1: Mm.
2: all that kind of stuff we do that and live like that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation yeah we preach it with confidence and boldness and lives will be changed and chains will be broken and the yeah. lost will be found and dead will be brought back to life yeah. and all of that kind of stuff yeah. and we i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie and say we're experiencing it hugely because yeah. nowhere near as much as we want to see but in those places where we we've probably seen more salvation in the last few years in a younger generation than than in any other demographic right so that's because they're lost mm. and they're in <laughs> they're, they're in darkness and mm. when light is shone into darkness wow, oh, it changes everything right so mm. there's that sense of actually a, a confidence yeah. that we need to have right? increasingly that yeah. that the gospel is the answer and we don't need to shy away from that it you've got to share it delicately and smartly and winsomely and wisely especially in the age of social media i don't yeah oh, but that's mm. another conversation perhaps.
0: that's really good i mean when you talk about manifestation and that just taking that as a as an idea a concept that people are practicing and living in in living in you realize that the pagan gods are I insist upon a degree of self-righteousness and legalism that is that produces anxiety like I've got to manifest this if it's not manifested it's because I am not manifesting it I need to work harder I need to be hard I need to try more I need to pray more they wouldn't use that words I need to give more I need to sacrifice more to these gods because the gods the pagan gods always demand blood they always demand a sacrifice it's hard work and that's when I think people reach reach the end of themselves and think, I'm exhausted, I can't do this. Yeah. And that's when C.S. Lewis's classic example of what makes Christianity different is grace. <laughs> He's been sacrificed for us. And I think helping perhaps the older generation in our churches to see, beneath the veneer of the glamour, the glamour of this next emerging generation, there's, a, there's an aching lostness and an anxiety that's quite tired of constantly trying to save itself. And there's a need for grace to come in would you say
1: absolutely absolutely i think that generation care about biblical things like i think that, that that generation when we when i reflect on the sort of issues that that the younger generation care about when they care about um authenticity they care about freedom they care about diversity they they care about love and who who gets to love and, and they care about the environment and they care about the poor you know there's lots of issues that that generation care about but the biblical then understanding of the biblical foundation for all those things has been stripped away so in a sense there's a lot of um opportunity to be able to speak in into areas of that generation's life where they are very deeply passionate and very deeply invested in um, just to kind of bring that sense of yes these are important they are massively important issues and here's why because they're important to God Um, but you're right I think that and, you know, with all of that, that thing of do better, try harder, do better, try harder, be better, try harder. That that message is, is relentless of trying to prove yourself, trying to prove that you've got value, trying to achieve a purpose that would make your life worthwhile. It's exhausting. And I think so, even in amongst the issues that that generation can be really passionate about. And, you know, and, and rightly so, even if it's misguided in some ways, grace is just uh, it's just so refreshing to a generation that are are, 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 yeah exhausted and broken by this this pressure to to make something of themselves and make their lives count I think grace is something we powerfully need to try and communicate in ways that that are um, really easy I mean a lot of that generation don't have preconceived ideas of what church is like which is an opportunity again but i think we need to think creatively about how we can communicate this message of grace um because Mm. it is i mean life-changing
0: it's so beautiful i read recently that um ours is the most fragile mentally fragile generation in human history you know with all of this so-called freedom and choice and opportunity and wealth we're actually at the same time taking away all of the things that produced structure and security our institutions the institution of the family has been you know demonized and dissolved for the part of a generation or so and now even the article i was reading was saying now even the one thing that you thought i could rely on to help tell me who i am is being questioned because i don't really know what a boy or a girl is anymore what male or female so it just produces increasing levels of fragile fractious mental states for people which exacerbates the levels of anxiety and fear that they're experiencing uh, which is something that should evoke deep sadness in us that the concern yeah. of course is that well, it's not the concern because you'd expect this but what's hard for then us as pastors is well this isn't out out there this is us the church we're in this culture and it's got into us so how do how do you help uh, or what advice would you give for pastors had to help pastor people in this culture who find themselves in becoming Christians, bringing all of that with them into the church?
1: Well, I I mean, we're starting um, across the entire life of our church. Well, we've just finished in Kids Church a series on identity, which was... You know, for the first time, a whole one of the sessions was on gender. You receive your gender from God. It's good. It's part of who you are. Never had to do that before. But that's now in our kind of <laughs> curriculum from when they're little, you know, kind of at age three to to because to, you we can't assume any, anything anymore. We've got to create biblical foundations on things that, that were just assumed before. But we're also started um, just last week. Uh, a a a, um, a sermon series on finding freedom based on freedom in Christ material, and the youth are also doing doing that. And it's it's because so much stuff to do with the mind is you know it, it's become the, it's massive mental health and it's and being resilient and robust and what does that look like and and how it is such a big area that we kind of just forget has a huge spiritual dynamic to it. Um, God cares about how we think and how we think affects our whole selves. Just being able to teach some of our teenagers who have huge mental health problems Mm -hmm. that when you get a thought in your head, it doesn't, it's not necessarily come from in you. So you don't need to give it a lot of attention. Here's how we can recognize lies. Here's how we can um, take control of our thoughts, make them obedient to Christ. What does renewing our mind look like? Because I would say that so much starts from from renewing the mind and believing truths about who we are. Yeah,
2: I think that you're absolutely right. I think there can sometimes um, be a danger if you are of a slight older generation, perhaps, to kind of think like, oh, I, I... Somebody somebody younger than me is going to have to take care of that. I can't. I don't understand that. I'm mm. a bit fearful of it. I'll say the wrong thing. I'll do this. I'll do that. I won't get involved. And I completely understand that impulse. And uh, if you're in that category and you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> in, I say it, in, say it in absolute kind of, uh, yeah, with grace. You, you, you have a part to play mm. in a... Far bigger way than you realize, and I think the that thing of actually when you look at scripture from from Abraham through what's it been about? It's been about family, right? Mm. And the church is family, and that's not a kind of um, that can sometimes be misconstrued when we talk about family and we think of family as like exclusive and tight knit, and it's just me and my friends and people. I like mean, no family is just pe- like people just like you. That's mm. that's a weird family, right? In a proper family, there's people of all mm. sorts of into generations. Yeah, you know. and you and you have different roles and you have different responsibilities and you have different things that you play and it's like um that biblically is what encourages me is none of this is new right yet the out the, the end result is perhaps different because i yeah we've moved quite a bit but the what's behind it is not new this is the scripture tells us this like Oh, from moses to joshua to judges too it says and then arose a generation didn't know the ways of god and you think what how did that happen from moses to joshua to to they didn't know anything of the ways of god and 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 so it's nothing new so we got that confidence of right well what do we do then And you think like psalm 78 it talks about telling the coming generation and it recounts the stories of the past we will tell them mm. and if you if it's not, that's where this thing of desire to build prioritize the next generation is actually a desire not to prioritize as such, but to prioritize building intergenerational, genuine biblical family. Mm. And it's not, it's not a proper, proper full family in that sense if it hasn't got these multiple generations. Mm. And so you honor the one ahead of you and learn from them and all the rest of it, but you prioritize the one behind you. And if everybody's doing that mm. and playing their role and part of it, then actually this this grace this experience this everything else that's what this next generation need they've got there right so we're not just trying to add young people into a young people's meeting and young people's church you're adding them into a family where there are parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and aunts and a few weird uncles and everything else like that that is the church right so and i kind of for me it's that thing of the truth hasn't changed so the the Need for the hearing of the gospel, the need for understanding of grace, the need for family, the need for caring, the need for one another, mm-hmm. the need for discipling, the need for getting alongside. Some of my the people I love, I mean, I love everybody in our church equally, of course, but some of the people I especially love in our church are those who are of an older generation who have just stepped out to get alongside people who are younger. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking of a guy in our church now who has prioritized. Getting alongside people who are in a completely different generation, yeah. Yeah. taking them out for a drink, taking them to watch football, sitting with them at the church, messaging yeah. them through the week, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and every generation has needed parents.
1: Yeah, we've got 60 something year olds on youth teams um, just because that's family, isn't it? It is its is family families together identifying because like as in, in our own families we you know we, we would chat and say what are the issues that our kids yeah. are facing how do we move to to deal deal with that as a family how do we recognize the, the the thing that is a bit of a threat to our future at the moment and we we as a family move to deal with that and so I guess that's as a family we recognize where 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 some of the the challenges are for the next generation and it, it yeah move towards them um as as, as family in James the same
2: and i th- I think there is a priority that has to be on reaching a younger generation that has always been there but more so than ever yeah. more so than ever right now it's it ha- i mean it's like the story in uh two kings 20 when hezekiah is kind of warned that There'll be prosperity in your time but what comes after you'll be terrible and he, hezekiah is basically like well okay as i don't mind what comes after as long as there's peace in my time i'm not bothered and ah, no, well, no 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 guys we can't do that we have to really look at what's behind and the ones that are in our ranks are we are we giving are we, we're not just about trying to entertain them and kids and keep them through and keep them from major sins till they're 18. And then hopefully they'll land as a young adult in a church somewhere. It's like, are they, do they get the gospel? Do they fully like, it's one of the, I was on kids just a couple of weeks ago and was it four kids, I think gave their lives to Christ in there. It doesn't
1: happen every week. No, it doesn't just before.
2: That's not just, James was on the just team. <laughs> because
1: James was on the team.
2: Yeah. No, normally it's eight, but it was only four because I was there. No, um, <laughs> But that two of them came from completely non-church families. Um, but basically, we've got people who are reaching out into their communities who are being kind of mums and dads to these kids and this, mm, us. Wow. because they need family. They need, they, and these kids come, and they're absolutely just like...
1: So you are, you ask that question, like, who wants to become a Christian? Like, they've been coming for a while. Who wants to be a Christian? And you, you kind of ask it tentatively, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. Like, this sounds great. Because, again, there's not the preconceived ideas of what what churches and what so then then we have
2: the challenge of how do we disciple them through and especially for kids who have grown up in church are they actually like how do you so are they filled with the spirit yeah like we run kind of teach Mm. on the holy spirit in our kids Mm. ministry and run holy spirit nights to pray for our kids and Mm. in the youth it's not just are they there but are they growing in christ are we treating them as like the next slot of church planters and Mm. kingdom makers and culture shapers and all that kind of Mm. stuff Are we we, and our students? Are we giving them space to to lead? And we had a seventeen-year-old preach a couple of weeks ago, and we do occasionally Mm. do these shorter kind of preaching She was awesome, Mm. like awesome. And you can't become what you can't see. So that Mm. sense of actually other teenagers seeing Mm. that somebody on our stage like speaking and Mm. leading stuff—it's just it's it's that. And but then I got to give credit to older generation. Mm -hmm. who yeah okay because it's not about peace and security in our time it's not my preference my preference would be this but we're building for that
0: um Mm -hmm.
2: uh, yeah that's a load of rambling but
0: Mm, no, it's really good, really. And I liked how you you started answering my initial question about how do we help the church that's been infiltrated or colonised by the culture, you might say. And I you started it by talking about the importance of helping people understand their identity. But then, of course, one of the major ways that we learn about who we are is within our family. You know, it's identity isn't a separate category. It's actually something that's inhabited but we're told who we are by the people we live around i think that's quite an important idea and therefore helping people to um find who they are and who god is in community and that not just being community is a buzzword but community becomes family which is the bible's idea of how human beings are supposed to flourish yeah. and in uh, and then we want to talk about then how we have four observations of healthy families that we need to be aware of in cultivating the church family and um and you've said before that four he- healthy observations four health four observations of healthy families. number one healthy families are intergenerational which you've started touching on there as well number two you said healthy families spot emerging problems which you might want to say a bit more about again number three healthy families tell the big story of god and number four healthy families share stories of god's people um expand on some of those uh, as i mentioned them there they might have kind of popped in your head and said oh you want to talk a bit more about that so i think we've done the intergenerational thing
2: i think um healthy families in that sense are you've got each generation playing its part and knowing its part and accepting its part like to be honest we're not young anymore like we've got a whole bunch of younger people in our church who look at us and think are these kind of old people like talking (laughs) and stuff and you and then a part of me wants to take offence at of that and go, "I am young. What are you talking about? I'm still a young guy." But then the new part of me is like,
1: "Do you still feel young, Jez? <laughs> uh,
0: I do until I look in the mirror. Actually, <laughs> I know, I'm like, where did that one
1: come from? What is that? But I think in all
0: seriousness, for a moment, you
2: at every age you have a choice. You mm. go, "No, I don't want to be that." I want to still be like I was 10, 20 years ago. Mm. Or you accept, no, I've grown up. I've got responsibilities now. I need to act my age. Like act your age. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying, I'm not having a go at people. I'm not saying mm. you lose your fun. Dave and Liz are a little bit older yeah. than us. They're some of the most fun people I've ever hung out mm. with. But this is,
0: I think this is, this is an important thing I just want to jump in on, because learning to see yourself as other people see you is really important. And then learning to behave within the role that you're supposed to be. You're not a child, an irresponsible person anymore. And often people wait until they get some of the so-called cultural markers, like becoming a parent or buying a house. Those things help us because we have increased responsibility. But it's a sad thing for a church. And it's a sad thing for communities where the the older men and women still see themselves as children. So that maybe before you go any further, give us some uh, help on that because that's a really important one. How do you start to change the way you view yourself so that you take leadership, pastoral, shepherdly care and concern for people because you now see yourself as a mum and a dad for others? Well, just Have you got any wisdom or thoughts on that? So re- really practically, hang out with people not like you. Because if you just hang out
2: with people who are just like you, same culture, same age, same life stage, same whatever background, you have the same blind spots and you just perpetually stay immature. Mm. I mean, you can grow in some ways, of course you can, but you Mm. kind of end up. uh, So when you hang out with people who are not like you, Mm. who are at different stages ahead of you and behind you from different cultural backgrounds, like blessed in the last 10 years, this church has changed a lot. And uh, by most measures, it's pretty diverse. And uh, some of our closest, closest friends, are people of nigerian origin or well, nigerians in their 50s right and they are they approach the world very different to us and when we sort of this, that the other they just come and bang and you're like i've never even thought about it like that
1: mm. oh
2: my goodness yeah i got to... so when you hang out with people who are different from you you suddenly are aware one you get challenged on your blind spots and you're perhaps immaturity and you grow mm. up a bit but you also become aware a bit more of your responsibilities like like, oh yeah actually there's people younger than me aren't it they used to do that to me i probably ought to do that to them and that mm. there is nothing sadder in church as you say mm. of older people not acting like it but there's also, it's nothing sadder of um 20 year old christians not being 20 years old they're like they've done year 1 and 2 10 times and it's like kind of we got to we got to just kind of you mm. know in a really loving way grow mm. up a bit mm. like like act
1: it yeah and sometimes you have to just lead the charge a bit and it's a bit because I guess that's what happened with Dave and Liz. They they invested in. They were really good at investing in the next generation, like years below them. Like think about who they chose to to, to spend time with and who they invested in. And it's just a bit sobering. Like even over, over lockdown, us going, oh, we we now need to do that. Like who are the who are the people we're now doing that with? Like pouring our lives out into and. I'm not saying we've got that that right, but I think just recognizing, oh yeah, we saw it modeled. Now we do it and we model it because it's when you're rubbing shoulders with somebody that's, like, you know, if you're, you know, and you're rubbing shoulders with something, and you're like, oh yes, I've forgotten that you, you. That's that's something I used to think as well, and I had somebody I could talk to about that and who would just kind of, you know, help me. So it's it's only until you kind of get a window into what. What, what are the concerns of those generations? What are the needs? Um, and you don't really get that until you're in a relationship, until you, you start having friendship with people that are, that are different. We, we've talked before about sometimes you get people in, I don't know necessarily what age bracket, late 30s, 40s, that lose their nerve a bit and suddenly lack confidence. Um, and I think that lacking confidence is a real reason why sometimes people don't invest in the next generation because they think, well, who am I, who am I to, to help along? And I think that's sad because it's not about having it all sorted. It's about recognising that you're, you, you have grown and you have learned some things and you've got a role to play.
0: That's really good. Okay, so number two, healthy families spot emerging problems. Talk to us about that one.
2: Okay, so spotting emerging problems. I think, well, the reality is, like, there is a massive problem in in the generation coming behind, right? Like, uh, I was looking the other day, I was kind of trying to find, there's all these studies that come out, oh, they're all over the place, and um, Generation Z and Generation alpha so alpha is the, those born 2011 onwards um that is like wow less around four only about four percent of them have a biblical worldview hmm. like which is massive right so 96 percent do not think hmm. the same as you and i on anything hmm. like literally anything and so that's a kind of huge thing I, in the uk I think it's only the Anglicans who are brave enough to ever publish their own stats on what happens. It's no different anywhere else. They just publish them. And like th- I think some, some crazy stat like three quarters of Anglican churches have less than five under 16s in their congregations and just over a third have none. And you're like, well, kudos to you guys for publishing your stats first of all. Um, so yeah. it's not having a go at them in any way, shape or form, but that that's where it is all over the place. So I think for us in our church, we have quite a lot of under 18s and quite a lot of under 25s and all the rest of it. But what we talk about here, and I, I can't remember who had nicked this phrase off. It wasn't, I, I heard somebody else say it and I thought I like that. So I'll have it. Um, we will not judge our numbers by the compared to other churches, but by the size of the lost in our communities, basically. And so mm. on that measure, we've got however many hundreds of whatever, mm, there's thousands in our mm. communities where mm. we, it, it's pretty so. It's pretty bleak. So we have absolutely mm. got to prioritize reaching those. Now, who are the best people to reach teens in the communities where we live? It's not me, but mm. it is our teens. So yeah. what teens we have, how are we prioritizing them? What, what mm. are we doing to invest in them? Are we just entertaining them or yeah. are we actively discipling them? Yeah. And that's not just about programs, right? Mm. The programs matter and ministries matter and you should, don't just leave your your if your youth team is just full of like 20 year olds i mean 20 year olds should be taking a lead right because they're cooler than we are but like if it's just full of those ah, something's quite not right i what i love the most mm. about the youth team here at the moment is you got people in their 60s and other age groups and all the rest of it because we're family you need mm. them i think of my own son our eldest being taken out to football by a guy i don't know how old he is i won't he might listen to this he's 42. Um, kind of and, and that ongoing discipline in, in the meeting mm. that we're in that our kids go to the younger ones are in kids work the youth are in for the worship and then they go out for their own stuff but the oldest our oldest doesn't really sit with us so sometimes he sits with some of his mates but often like guys in our community will say come and sit with me like adults mm. come and be like, involved in people's mm. lives it's that kind of actually that priority i make it an intention every single week mm to make sure I speak to some children. Mm. I don't just mean youth, I mean children. Get down on their level, Mm. talk to them about their week, get to know their names. Mm. We make it as a a priority in our team. If you're an eldership team here, you're invested in next gen. So I'm on a kids team. Others are involved with students. Others involved in just discipling. But it's that,
1: Mm.
2: come on, absolute priority of making sure, yeah, I lead the church. I've got every reason why I shouldn't be on a kids team, but I'm on a kids team. Mm. I'll make sure I've got my T-shirt on. Uh, due to my role i can't be the one in four all the time necessarily but uh, that that kind of prioritizing that
1: so a family that wants to move towards emerging problems and deal with them puts their resources there you know so it's not just one of those things we're going to worry about it but we're not going to put any of our resources there time money i think put trying to put resources into it so i think we've we've well resourced a kind of a next gen focus over the last few years um, in terms of people, um, in terms of just, I, I guess, investment, match, you know, money for, for, for stuff. But I, I I feel like it's just it's it's a movement. So don't just be worried about what we're teaching on Sunday and what youth program it is for next week. Worry about what worship looks like because worship isn't incorporating anything that any of our young people are interested. And in. don't you know, you know it's it's other ministry areas as well that are about shaping the church that is going to be their church in in a few generations time. I, does that does that make sense? It's a bit subtle, but it's
2: it's not about a performance. That's one of the things mm. this younger generation care about authenticity and realness and all that I'm not interested in a show they're interested in is this what is going on here like the how slick it looks it's mm. is it real is mm. it authentic is mm. it can i is it are those leaders and whatever approachable um mm. getting them in your home getting them to see we hung out with a younger couple the other day and they're just seeing our kids answering back to us <laughs> all of that reality of normal life and you're kind of and I just had a message of, well, thanks for hanging out. It was really nice to see you in your naturally habitat kind of thing because all illusions about anything else were completely yeah. <laughs> smashed in that moment. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's those kind of things. So I think that's where we're at. And I think the other points, what were they building, uh, teaching the big story of God and telling stories? I mean, in one sense, they kind of speak for themselves, right, of um, sharing, yeah, the big story of God like continually. Mm-hmm. This is what we're part of, a global movement of a global god mm. the church doesn't have a mission the mission as a church mm. um families of the earth are going to be blessed we are supposed to be we're we're involved in the most exciting thing going on in the mm. world, world right now the ingathering of the elect from mm. every tribe and every tongue there is nothing more exciting going on in the world right now mm. than that mm. and if you think there is you've missed it by a million mm. miles so our kind of joining the church course session one is this is what we're about the big story of god that stretches genesis to revelation and find your place in it there's no you can be have any emotion you want in the life of our church but boredom is not one of them if you're bored you've misunderstood it in a huge way there's nothing for me to do how many people live where you live there's like one point whatever million in the surrounding things where we are It's like over a million re- things for you to go and do <laughs> go and work out how to reach them go and do this that or the other it's that kind of Sense of lift your eyes. The gospel is yes, it is. It is. A, we so often reduce the gospel to our kind of um, me and Jesus, mm. my sin problem, yes, but no, it's about the cosmic reign of God in Christ, which one day will eradicate evil from the face of the earth and therefore deal with your sin problem. Mm. But that's kind of like a it's not a ticket for a football match, you just mm. get out when you get to heaven's door, mm. it's like you have been called Mm. and saved and redeemed and set apart called out of darkness into light not just so you sit in light in your holy huddle Mm. but so you're sent back into the darkness to call others out and Mm. and you're partnering now with jesus you're partnering with jesus Mm. in the renewal of all things like if you don't get excited by that
1: yeah (sighs) and you need the big story of god to do that like that is that is the big story of god and that's part of the story that we find ourselves in and you've got to kind of have a sense of that story to be exci- excited about it.
2: And then you tell the individual stories within it and yeah. that's the last thing like in our family, Han yeah. grew up in Pakistan right there's nothing more my kids love than hearing the stories of the experience of growing up in Pakistan yeah. and I mean, I I can tell the stories because I've heard them that many times. I I wasn't there. I've never been to Pakistan. I might never go. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of... But they've been told so many yeah. times. They're part of it to such an extent when our kids, like when Pakistan play cricket, they want Pakistan to win. They're, I mean, not when they play England. England first. But that kind of sense of...
1: But they tell strangers. They, My <laughs> mother grew up in Pakistan. And it's like, when I think about it, I'm like, no one cares. But it's, it's <laughs> nice that, that there's sense of affinity that they have to... know to a place that they've never been they probably will never go but it's this power of the stories that they because they were fairly dramatic living out there and so they yeah they have that it's resonated in their affections um because of stories and i think that that's important for us as well as storytelling you know that uh, the next generation are storytellers twice by youtube is so you know that that the the power of the story and you know we want it condensed probably to 60 seconds um for us to be able to kind of be able to take it in, but I think we we could there's so many platforms for storytelling. And obviously we've talked about um, the dangers of some of the social media and things, but I think being committed to telling stories, not just of things happening of stuff happening in our own church, but in our wider church family, new ground, new frontiers on the wider scene, just to, you know, telling stories builds faith, doesn't it? It does something in you. It builds faith, it builds expectation of what God can do just tell tell stories and and people's hearts are warmed and i i think yeah healthy families tell stories and whatever that looks like for different people in their contexts i think it's something it's from the oral traditions of scripture to how we do it today it's the power jesus told stories all the time stories is is a as a precious way for us to impart values and excitement about what god's what god's doing
0: Really helpful, wise, and encouraging input and advice from James and Hannah there. Just by way of recap then, four observations that they gave us about healthy families is that number one, healthy families are intergenerational. Number two, healthy families spot emerging problems. Number three, healthy families tell the big story of God. And number four, healthy families share stories of God's people. I love that last one. Let's just, let's just end on that one. When was the last time you told part of or all of your church family's stories? Stories of faith, of conquest and encouragement, stories of overcoming challenge, stories of God's faithfulness to you as a, as a fellowship through the years. Or when was the last time you told stories of God's faithfulness to your family of churches, to us as New Ground or to New Frontiers, celebrating, owning, declaring with faith. The stories and victories that God has done in us and in our past surely is one of the ways that we make sure we don't lose these in the future or that we help catch up the emerging generations into the story, not just God's big story, but the story of our families of what God is doing in and amongst us as communities of God's people and as movements of God's people around the world. Healthy families share the stories of God's people. Have a go at that. God bless you. Thanks for being with us this week. See you again soon. Bye bye.